Uh, I, I, as I sat in the worship service, the Lord began to, to redirect me, and I, I, I know when He does that, it's. I'm not exactly sure why He wouldn't tell me to start with. Um, uh, but the Lord likes to do that to me because he knows that I'm trying to be too well put together. So I'm just, I'm probably going to throw my jacket and my shoes everywhere tonight because we're going to have church here in a moment. <laughs> All right. Yeah. So I, the, the, the media people, I've only given them a title and we'll just work from that and, and, and God love them if they find a scripture while I'm quoting it, then then that'll be another miracle. We've had many miracles. We'll pray for the miracle. I would like the media to help me with a scripture. Can you just pull up scriptures? Can you pull up? Can you pull up a scripture just on the fly? Can you do that? Uh, uh, a, a a couple was getting married, and they um, uh, they wanted the the caterer caterer to put a scripture on the cake. Uh, it was. Uh, First John chapter uh, 4, I think, and I think it's verse 18. Could you put First John 4 and 18 on the board? This is what they asked the caterer, just to put the reference of it, just the reference of it on the, on the wedding cake. It's a true story. They wanted to put the reference, and they love this scripture. Isn't this a beautiful scripture? There is no fear in love, but Perfect love casts out fear because fear hath torment. He that fears does not make perfect love. There's no fear in love. Perfect love. And but you, but ladies and gentlemen, you can't expect the bakery to know the difference between 1 John 4:18 and just John 4:18. So let's go to John 4:18, because that's what they actually put on the cake of the wedding. It's John 4.18. Can you get John? For thou hast had five husbands. And the one you got right now, he ain't even your husband. That's true. That's not my text, but I felt like you should know that tonight before I got to preach. It's a big difference between John and 1 John 4.18. in this house tonight and the Lord knew we were coming it didn't surprise him that you got to this place but the devil found out you were coming also and I am compelled by the Holy Spirit to preach tonight what the enemy heard and everybody said in Jesus' name, lift up your hand and say right now, Lord, I pray for the anointing of the Holy Ghost. Add a blessing to your already anointed word. I pray for the people, Lord, that something would happen in this house tonight. Let the Holy Ghost be here in Jesus' name. In the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. God bless you. Please turn to your neighbor and tell them that they're the best looking person you've seen all day. And tell them, but the day's not over.
say, but the day is not over. <laughs> That's good. All right. Thank you. you. May be seated. Even after I describe the scene of the moment of its occurrence, it could quickly fade from your memory. Yet in the picture so carefully crafted in the book of Samuel, there is a measurable miracle sent from God that is often overlooked by the reader. Two sharp rocks, the Bible said, marked the passageway of Jonathan and his armor bearer. They were landmarks, and those rocks were given names. They were so large and significant. One was called Boses, and it was situated northward over against Michmash. The other was called Seneh, and it rested southward against Gibeah. Jonathan and his armor bearer were young warriors with great discontent. They did not want to sit idly by and wait for the enemy, the Philistines, to plot their course. And so with kindred spirit, they united together with one sword between them and one shield to, and I quote, go over unto the garrison of these uncircumcised. It may be, Jonathan said, that the Lord will work for us, for there is no restraint to the Lord to save by many or by few. On what the scripture calls a small half acre of land, Jonathan and his armor bearer, uh, they, they climbed up upon their hands and they killed 20 men in the garrison of the Philistines. It was a victorious moment. It was a battle well intended. And it is a great word to, to think of and to speak of. In almost every setting, the book is now closed. The preacher preaches on, and it is a wonderful sermon, that kind of faith. The armor bearer, without a name, travels up with his leader. But I wish for a moment to travel a few verses further just to show you that while the enemy of our soul uses disparaging words and taunts our every move, Satan himself being the master of raising doubts and fears in our ears, I want you to know tonight that when we make a move of faith, there is a sound that the enemy hears that is far greater than anything we can ever imagine. Jonathan and his armor bearer slew 20 men, and no sooner had they completed their work than the Bible says this in 1 Samuel chapter 14, verse 15. I'll wait for the sound, folks, in media. Maybe you can get 1 Samuel chapter 14 and verse 15. Here's what the Bible says. After they were done killing the Philistines, the Bible said this. And there was trembling in the host, in the field, and among all the people of the garrison. And the spoilers, they also trembled. And the earth quaked so that it was a very great trembling. The earth, think of this, trembled. The ground shook insomuch that even the watchmen of Saul in Gibeah looked and behold the multitude of the enemy melted away they were so unnerved by what they heard and felt that they abandoned their positions and melted away and not only that but the Philistines were in such 
panic from the sound and the trembling that as they left, the scripture says that they were beating down one another as they ran away. Think of this word. Two young men took a chance on God and the result was not only a victory over a small garrison of 20 men, but it was much more than that. The result is what the enemy heard. The enemy heard a rumbling and a quaking. The embling, the enemy heard the earth shaking, the fields shaking. The sound of it was deafening. It was thunderous. It was reverberating as if the earth itself had been snapped like a blanket on a freshly made bed. The Philistines, so unnerved by the roar and moving of the earth, they just melted away. And in the process, they were whipping and beating each other down as they ran through the field. I want to tell you tonight what the enemy heard. Let me tell you what God takes. He takes your action and he magnifies your movement. There is nothing that you can do for the kingdom, whether in praise or in worship or in giving or in sacrifice that remains static or inert. I just feel pressed of the Holy Ghost to tell you tonight that whatever you do for the Lord, God is going to take that and he's going to magnify it. If you're worshiping, something else is taking place while you're worshiping. When you give, something else is taking place while you're giving. When you sacrifice, your God is going to repay you. He's going to open up the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing you cannot contain. Watch this. There is a difference between the children of light and the children of darkness. There's a difference. God will not tolerate disobedience. It is an affront to his holiness. The Bible says that sin came by one man through disobedience. And when God saw his people, some of them reject his law, he was wroth with anger. In fact, he said in the book of Leviticus, you did not obey me. The ground was supposed to rest, but you worked through greed. You were so greedy. Your groves and idols and high places were erected and you were hostile toward me. God said this. So now all those disobedient people who are enemies to my law, let me tell you what I'll do. Leviticus 20. 26. He said, I will make their hearts so fearful in the lands of their enemies that the sound of a wind-blown leaf will put them to flight. They'll run as though fleeing from the sword and they will fall even though no one is pursuing them. The sound of a shaken leaf chases them away. They'll flee as with someone is chasing them with a sword, but no one's chasing them. Let me tell you what the enemy heard. Every time you get up on Sunday, every time you get up for worship, every time you walk into this sanctuary, there is a stirring in the belly of hell. Every time you make your way to worship and we begin to pray in the Holy Ghost, the enemy hears the sound of a rushing mighty wind. I pray that you don't count this as elementary or insignificant. Every time you clap your hands. There's a sound in the spirit world. And God holds a microphone to the small thing you think is insignificant. And he magnifies that and causes a panic and the trembling in the depths of those who oppose God and the people of God. 
No. Every time you shout out to the Lord, I know what you think. You think I'm just one voice. What does it matter? We think ours is a singular, but the enemy hears the magnification of a thousand angels. I rise to say, give me one soul washed in the blood of the lamb. Give me one person redeemed by the spotless lamb. And that is enough to make every demon in hell shake in fear. You believe there's one God. The devil believes there's one God and he trembles. My mama was a Catholic girl before she found the Lord. My daddy was a Methodist boy. I come from a strong Italian background. I don't know if we have any Gumbadis in this house tonight. I see, I do see some Latin folks. Uh, the Farinos, the Contras Giovannis, the Bungiovannis, and the Campisis. <laughs> and when they found the Lord, they they jumped in. They 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 went to a old church elder called White Weight Tabernacle. It was Walter Gwynn. They found that in St. Louis. And they were saved and they, they jumped into the church and they didn't take long. They went to pastor church. I grew up in a, in a Pentecostal church. And my brother and I, my sister, Scott and I, my father was so kind uh, wherever we would start out in the service, he would make a special invitation for Scotty and Jeffrey to come sit on the front row. He was so kind and generous. He would always invite us personally from the pulpit. Scott and Jeffrey come sit on the front. It was, it was a kindness. <laughs> my brother, my brother used to teach me how to get through a two-hour worship service. You know, people would dance in those days. Now, listen, we, they danced. We danced and shouted. We ran around the church. We, we, we rolled. We did all. Back in those days, women used to have their hair would be way up on their head, and they would put things. They, it was yarn, but they called it rats in their hair. I don't know. Am, am, am I? Does anyone know what I'm talking about here? Thank you, Mother. And when they would get going, bobby pins would start flying and, and, and yarn would fall out. We could count a good church service by the mounds of bobby pins we'd find on the floor afterwards. We had a good night tonight. My brother taught me how to how to get through the service. He'd say, he'd say, come on, Jeffrey, we're gonna play like we're at the horse races. And and there they run around. He said, there goes Sister Winnipool beating Brother Nowak by a head. <laughs> Place your bets. <laughs> They'd be running around. I'd sleep under the church pews, and ladies with three-inch high heels would dance around our heads, and miracles happened every night because we never got stabbed one time. When my father's church, the side of the church burned down, the sanctuary burn, didn't burn, but it was 1,300 degrees. The, the, the grand piano, the ladies' auxiliary just, just I don't want to go through that. It was a horrible moment, but it melted to the floor, and we had church in a funeral parlor for a few months. Oh, yeah. I was kind of spooky. Uh-huh. I can remember just growing up in that church thinking that it didn't really matter what we did, that, that it wasn't making a big difference until the Holy Ghost kind of intervened. And the Holy Ghost let me know that even the things I think that are insignificant done in the church and for the kingdom 
They're great. They're powerful. Now you think that what you're doing is not is not really mattering. I want to tell you, I beg to differ with you. The devil looks at you every time you are praying, every time you are worshiping, every time you are walking, every time you are loving, and he hears something. He hears the sound of a saint, of a child, of a joint heir with Jesus Christ. Maybe I don't need to promote this, but I will anyway. Perhaps you are unaware of how important your praise really is. Maybe you don't realize what damage you're doing to the kingdom of this world and to this city. I will tell you, when you get into this house and you begin to praise God, all the demons and all the strongholds of Lafayette, they stand up at attention. They know that you are here. They do not want you to be here because there's an echo in the sound of the enemy's ears. He knows that you're here. You're making a difference just by your praise. It's much, but I want to tell you the devil is afraid of what you're doing here tonight. Yes, oh yes, oh yes. Oh yes. Ah. Here's the word. Here's the word. Samaria is a capital city, but at one point it's surrounded by the Syrians, these armies. They were a band of ruthless men which loved bloodshed and the bounty of the oppressed nations they oppressed. Samaria was now fully encased in his own misery, literally being starved to death. Second Kings chapter 6 called it a great famine. It lasted so long that they were starving. A donkey's head sold for 80 shekels of silver, a quarter of a cab of seed pods for five shekels, no food, women were given to eating their newborn children. The people had devolved into a grotesque group of hideous humans wailing in the streets, scraping the dust from the ground. And there, just outside the gates, were the most pitiful of them all, lepers, men who were dying of both disease and hunger. And now at the height of their horror, those four hungry and emaciated lepers, they looked at one another and they knew that just beyond the ridge lay the enemy's camp. The Syrians were all the food and substance was. They could be found there and they said to one another in 2 Kings 7 and 4, why sit we here until we die? Here it is. If we say, We'll go into the city. If we go back there, there's famine in that city. And we'll die there. And if we sit here, we're going to die. Now, therefore, let us fall. Maybe they'll have grace. Maybe they'll have mercy unto the host of the Syrians. If they save us, we'll live. If they kill us, we're going to die anyway. We shall but die. They said, I got an idea. We've got no weapons and we've got no military might. Some of us are losing our fingers and our toes. Death has become us and we have become it. So the only thing left we have at our disposal is the ability to walk. 
why don't we just walk let's see if that's enough to save us just to walk we'll walk and when we get there we'll just fall down and the scripture says read the bible the scripture says that they left at twilight and when they arrived at the enemy's camp no one was there and i quote second kings seven and six for the Lord had caused the Syrians to hear the sound of chariots and the sound of horses and the sound of a great army and they said one to another look the king of Israel has hired the Hittites and the Egyptians to attack us here's the next verse so they got up and they fled in dusk and they left their tents and they left their horses and they left their donkeys and they left their food and when the lepers reached the enemy camp they ate all the food they wanted. They drank all the drink they could, they could carry. They got the silver and the gold and the clothes and all they had to do because God made the pitter-patter of those four emaciated lepers sound like a great host. I want to hear tell you what the enemy heard. The footfalls of four lepers sounded like a lot of horses coming their way. The footfalls of four emaciated lepers sounded like chariots in so much the enemy said, Israel has a lot more people with them now. We've got to get out of here. What you hear and what the enemy hears are two different things. Because in the economy of our great God and Savior, Jesus Christ, every time you take a step of faith, God holds a microphone to your feet. And the sound that you're making, just getting up and walking into this place, scares off the enemy in your life. I rise to say what the enemy heard. He heard God magnifying every effort. I'm in the word. Don't think for a moment that the battle in the valley of Elah was over when David picked up five smooth stones. I take groups to Israel periodically and years ago I used to, in fact I still do this, but now they've got a place to park. There used to be no place to park. The last day I take them to a field, nondescript field. If you've ever been to Israel, you know they've, there's shrines over everything, a stone, a rock. They believe all the stuff. And the last day, Pastor, we go to a large field. We pull over. We get out, cross over that little barrier, walk down in a long, dry creek bed. Extends for miles in both directions. I don't know if we're in the exact place. But then I ask everybody, where are we? They don't know. But just geographically, the Philistines would have come from that place, on that hill, way over there. And Israel would have camped on this big hill. And the creek bed where we're standing is the creek where David would have picked up somewhere along the line five smooth stones. Of course, you know, the misnomer years ago was that five stones represented... The name of Jesus, J-E-S-U-S. -S. But of course, that's not true because the English language wasn't around. And 
It sounded good, but it was wrong. <laughs> nice. Uh, and David picked up those five smooth stones. He put them in his pouch. If you want to know the significance of it, significance of it, perhaps it's because David had four more giants in his life to come. He would kill none of them. Or perhaps he gathered the stones because he was in for a battle. And if the first one didn't do its job, he was going to keep on trying. But don't think for a moment when he picked up those stones, the battle was over. It wasn't even over when he walked toward Goliath. It wasn't over when he put the rock into that worn and worthy leather sling. It wasn't even over when the stone hit the forehead of Goliath and he fell over. And David raced to unsheath his sword and to cut off his head and to hold it up with his gaping mouth, the sinew and flesh dripping. It wasn't over. I'll tell you when it was over. It was the over. It was over the moment David said, you come to me with a sword and a spear, but I come to you in the name of the Lord. That was the moment it was over. So if you got a problem and if you got a situation you cannot get out of, if you'll just open up your mouth and say, you have all the resources, but I come in the name of the Lord, it's over. See, what we don't see all the time is that the enemy hears the Ancient of Days bellowing out from the mouth of a young shepherd boy. It was the I am that I am roaring from beneath the garment of flesh. I wish tonight we could understand what the enemy hears. God is with them that trust in him. God is on your side, so says the Bible. He is preparing a way. And though the church might not always recognize it, I have to tell somebody that you are making sound waves in the enemy's camp that are disrupting the work of the devil in your life. Life and in this city even if you feel weak let me tell you a shaken leaf is amplified to cause them to fall upon themselves uh, Satan remembers it full well I do believe that Lucifer Satan was there when Jesus died and every step he took toward Calvary I think he was there I want to tell you about it Showing up is incredible. It's important. The devil knows where you are. The enemy keeps track of the people of God. Several years ago, we had a guy laying carpet for us. I had baptized him. His name was Chip. He had been in drugs, and he had just come out of me. He was so fresh, and... I was working with him, and he was doing good. I was teaching him Bible studies, and he still had a fiance that was that was entangled with this. And one morning he woke up, and and he went to find her, and she had passed away. She had overdosed from drugs, and. He just quickly reverted back to his old ways. And I got the call early in the morning. And, and the call was, Pastor, Chip is very depressed. His fiance, he's been trying to get her to come to church. She, she overdosed and she passed away this morning. I said, where is he at? They said, he's at the bar. Wow. Uh -huh. It was early in the morning. Yeah. Uh 
I don't know why I did this. I have no idea. It just, it was, maybe it was instinctive. I put my suit on. I put my nice shirt on. I put my tie. I just got to pinch that knot real good. Just right, made the crease. I sprayed on some good cologne. In fact, I can remember what cologne I had that morning. It was Dolce & Cabana light blue for men. Because Tammy liked that. I don't know why. I got my nice shoes on. I got in the car. I asked somebody, where's the bar at? They told me, it's, I think it was 9th Street or Avenue or something. I'd never been in a bar before. I thought I'd find him alone. I walked into the bar smelling like Dolce Cabana light blue with my suit on. It was 8.30 in the morning. Place was packed. That was an old rusty jukebox playing loud music. When I looked around, I had to readjust my eyes. It was kind of dark, you know. Smoke everywhere. I don't know what they were smoking. But didn't smell like light blue. <laughs> Saw round tables of pitchers of beer. Most of them were empty already. Already pitchers of beer. I walked up to somebody. I said, I'm looking for Chip. They all turned and looked at me. They knew I wasn't supposed to be there. I found him sitting at a table. He had already been drinking. I looked down at him. He said, oh, pastor, what am I going to do? I said, I'll tell you what you're going to do. You're going to serve God. You're going to love God. I put my hands on his head. I don't know what got over me. I just put my hand on his head. I didn't know whether to pray loud or softly. I didn't know what to do. I didn't even, I, I didn't even come to myself until sometime later. I put my hand on his head. I began to speak in tongues in Jesus' name right there at the bar. In my own mind, I thought it was just going to be me and my new convert. Let me tell you what the enemy heard. He had to scatter. Somebody pulled the cord on the jukebox and the men start lining up. And they said, preacher, pray for me. And I began to move around and pray for them in Jesus' name. When you make a step toward God, you don't know what's going to happen. I've come to tell you what the enemy heard. If you've been baptized in Jesus' name, the devil is afraid of you. In fact, let me just tell somebody, at your weakest moment in God, you're still stronger than every force of the world. Yay! Oh! It's not just another Sunday night. We are disrupting the kingdom of hell. You are disrupting the enemy and the forces of darkness. Yes. 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 Oh, thank you, Lord. Keep it up. Yeah, I'm Oshata Yabaka Sata.
we're struggling with, with faith. Sometimes I think we've heard so much word that we struggle with another word. And the reason why we struggle with the next word is because we didn't exercise the faith in the first word. We get intoxicated on the word, so we hear the things that are said, but we really don't believe that. <laughs> I want to tell you that God can heal cancer. Someone needs to know that God can heal diabetes and blindness and deafness. And the Lord can raise people from the dead. You've heard it too much, but because you didn't exercise the small things, you started to lose faith on the larger things. Um, one of the saints had a family member that passed away last year. Uh, actually, it was, it was this year. It was February. And um, I didn't know the deceased at all, really. But they, uh, Tammy and I decided to go just to pay our respects and just be a comfort. Yeah. I'm not exactly sure what protocol is. No one gave me the book. So I just thought, we'll just show up and pay our respects. And when I got there, there were two pastors related to the deceased. And they invited me to the front to sit with them. And I had my Bible with me. And uh, I don't know why I had my Bible. But I had my Bible with me, Pastor. And I just came and sat with him. And the first minister got up. He sang a song. And he said, now I'm going to turn it over to my brother. And, and this next man got up and he, yeah. he said, I'm just going to read a scripture. Pastor Harpel is going to preach. <laughs> and I nodded my head and smiled. Now this is the outside. And I'm thinking, what, what just happened? <laughs> Wait a second. <laughs> so I just opened, of course, I preached a few sermons before, and I opened up my Bible, and the Lord started speaking to me. I said, okay, Lord, okay, okay. And I got up, and here's this audience, and they're waiting for me to say something profound. The place is packed. There are people along the side. My wife is over there with some of the church ladies, and, and while I'm speaking, toward the end, one of the ladies gets a text. Robin Hudiger's father has fell. There's some kind of coma. He's unconscious. They don't know. They, they, can't, they can't get him to come to. They're passing around the phone while I'm trying to speak. My wife is, what she's doing something over there to the left. And I'm just, I'm trying to get this together, kind of close it out, end on a nice good note. The, the casket is here, a sweet lady in front of me. I'm consoling her. Tammy is over having a prayer meeting at the end of my, because Robert Hudiger's father is, won't come to. And I said, we're going to bow our heads in prayer. At that exact moment, Tammy turned to the ladies and she grabbed hands and she said, come on now, sisters, we're going to pray for Robin's father. And she began to pray, oh, Jesus, wake him up. <clears throat> She got a little louder. Wake him up in Jesus' name. Wake him up right now. Rise him up. Get him up right now. I'm looking. I'm thinking, oh, dear Jesus. She got a lot of faith right now. I don't know what's going to happen. Wake him up. 
Oh, Lord, you can do it. And then she realizes we're at a funeral. <laughs> we left. I don't know. Maybe those people were impressed. Maybe they thought, you know, those, those harpoles, they never give up. They just keep on praying right up to the very end. Just know this. God can do anything. Don't limit him. Don't limit him because you've heard it all your life. It could be tonight. What you don't know is when we get together by two or three, how about by a couple of hundred people, something happens in the belly of hell. Something happens in the spirit world. The Lord is powerful. And the enemy hears what you're doing. And that night that the Lord was taken, that night that the Pharisees were goading and spurring the people, I believe that the enemy, the devil, was luring Judas with silver and position. Because Lucifer remembers the night in that garden place when the temple guards came to capture Jesus. The Lord, since their arrival, as he gently nudges his sleeping disciples... But the temple guards did not know which one was Jesus, either through the dark of night or through absence of recognition. The soldiers asked him, are you Jesus of Nazareth? That was the question that was asked that night. And Jesus replied, I am. No. Here's John 18, verse 6. Are you ready? John 18 and verse 6. Jesus said, I am. He was identifying himself with the creator. With the one who spoke from the burning bush. And when he identified himself, watch the scripture. As soon as he had said unto them, I am he. It was like someone picked them up and threw them backwards on the ground. Let me tell you what the enemy hears. You heard just a simple identification of a person. The enemy heard the identification of the great creator, the omniscient, the Lord of glory, the I am that I am. He heard the king of kings and the Lord of lords. He heard the lawgiver. He heard the light, the line of Judah and the Lord of glory. He said it more clearly in Revelation 1 and 8. I am Alpha and Omega, the beginning and the ending, saith the Lord, which is, which was, and which is to come. The Almighty, I am. It was the words that Jesus conveyed to authority, given to authority to Moses. Those temple guards heard the voice that spoke the worlds into existence. They heard the voice of the Alpha and Omega. And when the enemy heard it, they were launched backward to the ground. Their bodies lifted up. I wish we had an understanding of how powerful the name is. Don't get accustomed or familiar with the name Jesus because his name is wonderful. His name is Counselor. His name is the Mighty God. His name is the Everlasting Father. His name is the Prince of Peace. That's what his name is. And the Bible said that at the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow, things in heaven, things in earth, and things under the earth. 
And when you speak his name, you hear the sound of your own voice. But the enemy hears the sound of all eternity. Help me now. I feel like I should just end right here because I think that if you'll believe this and reach for it and believe that God is going to use what you're doing right now, you're going to tear down things in your life that have that heretofore has been standing very strong. But I believe that God has a word for you and all you have to do is do something for the king and praise and worship. And I've come to tell you what the enemy heard. Come on, stand your feet, everybody. Lift up your voice to God. Clap your hands unto the Lord, all ye people. Shout unto God. He'll give you the victory.